do, 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 do. Here we go. My name is Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 497. Um, so I guess three away from the big 500. Are we going to announce what we're doing on the 500, sure. sweetie? Sure. Go ahead. So for our Let's talk about it more. For our 500th, um, we have never had any of our three kids on the podcast. Except for Cam. Cameron was sick one day and she was in, she sat in on one of the interviews that we did with my friend Charlie, who's an author. Mm -hmm. So we thought it'd be nice to bring them in. It's kind of like everybody loves Raymond. You know how like on Family Ties, they brought Andrew in and they just gave Andrew lines, even though it didn't, he didn't bring anything to the table. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves Raymond. They, um, they basically just discluded them from being a part of the show. Like you'd see them run around, but they wouldn't ever be a part of it or they would, but it'd be rare. So I'm, I'm interested in the two examples you just gave. Yeah. Okay. Family ties bringing Andrew in. Yeah. He did have lines though. Barely. He was a character. Right. And they, and he was, they, 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 they uncomfortably brought them in just because they didn't want to ostracize him. Whereas everybody loves Raymond. They didn't, it was a show about adults for adults Whereas I feel like Family Ties is more like, hey. So your point about the Family Ties thing is that the other three were old enough that they were almost like adults. They're part of the show. And then Andrew was just random. And they should have just like put Andrew in the crib and not had him grow up. But he was like seven. I know. So he didn't want to be. Yeah, but in, in TV years, like they probably aged him like three years for every year. Was Andrew more like his parents or like his brother? What do you mean? Oh, was he liberal or Republican? Well, it's not that he knew his political affiliation. I think he looked up to Alex P. Keaton. He did? I think he became a little Republican. And it's funny because we're going to talk about a little bit about the Equal Rights Amendment. And you remember in the beginning of the show, um, the intro, uh-huh. Steve and Elise Keaton were hippies. And I think she worked for the ERA. She worked to get this amendment passed. Ratified. Ratified. And he worked for PBS. And he worked for, yeah, some public station so but on on everyone loves raymond we don't even know who the kids are there was a few storylines but they basically ignored them because that wasn't what the show was about So have we been ignoring our children we've ignored our kids even better than everybody loves raymond does for seven or eight years depending on who you're talking to so we thought let's just try to get them on to see if they have any words of wisdom for our (laughs) audience sure um so that happens in about three weeks or so 500th episode. 500. Yes. And this is 497. I subscribed to John Oliver on HBO. And last night he did something on the Equal Rights Amendment. When you say you subscribe, do you mean like YouTube. we have HBO? Oh, no, on, on YouTube. YouTube. Got it. So I get an email every time he has a new video cool. that posts. So I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but up until like four or five months ago, I was just telling you about there's a coach, a woman's basketball coach from Notre Dame who was asked a question. I think she was sick of getting asked. And she it was about female coaches, female coaches. Mm-hmm. And she says, we haven't passed the Equal Rights Amendment yet. And up until that moment, I thought that it was passed. Mm. And I will say in this, John, and we'll put the link to this in our show notes if you want to watch all 15 minutes of John Oliver. But he kind of, you know, they do a lot of research for a whole week and try to make it funny. And um, and then also inform you what's going on. So the Equal Rights Amendment was originally pr- proposed. I'll, I'll I'll give you an opportunity to guess what year was it originally proposed? Let's see, nineteen seventy two. Nineteen twenty three. Oh, oh, okay. You're okay. I, first of all, I didn't know that yeah. at all. Yeah. I just thought you meant when they voted on it. No, 
when it was originally proposed. Originally proposed, 1923. 1923. I'll even tell you who did it. Um, It was proposed by Alice Paul and Crystal Eastman. Interesting. Uh, It was introduced into Congress in December of 1923. Wow. So this is the 100th anniversary of Congress passing the 19th Amendment, which does what, sweetie? What's the 19th Amendment? Um, women's uh, ability to vote. Correct. So this is a, a June 4th, which was six days ago, was the 100th anniversary of that. Awesome. So that's cool. Um, Glad we got there. We figured that one out. <laughs> um, but what John Oliver says is 80% of us already thinks that the Equal Rights Amendment has already been adopted into the Constitution. I haven't thought that. I know, but you're one of the 20%. 80% of the people out there think that it, including me as of three months ago, mm-hmm. thought it was, you know, I get it confused with Title IX and, you know, I'm just not that well informed when mm-hmm. it comes to stuff like this. And I'm trying to be, but. Mm-hmm. No, no, I and I appreciate it because this is why we're talking about so it. So back in 1972, 84 senators voted for it. Right. Can it's you like imagine huge. That? Like when was the last time 84 senators agreed on anything? I know. And I know it was a different time in 1972, which was the year I was born. Great year, by the way. Um, And it passed the House and the Senate. So then for it to become an amendment, for those of you who know a lot about the Constitution, which I have since forgotten, you need to pass the House and the Senate, and then you need 38 states to ratify it. Correct. Guess how many states have ratified it up till this moment? Well, I think we have 37 now. We have 37 out of 38 states. Now, before you continue on, sure. Tom, I want to remind you of something that we did together a couple years ago, and I okay. think we did a show about it, is we watched the something on, I, I can't remember if it was on HBO or what, but we watched something about the ERA. Mm-hmm. Because remember the whole Phyllis uh Shafly, is it pronounced wow, really Shafly? Shafly, that's it. Thank you. So she came. So it was like cruising through mm-hmm. and doing really well, and she got a group together to go against ratifying this. I actually in the have States. a piece from John Oliver. If you want to hear it, I didn't play it about for her. Before. Yeah, because that's what's always amazing to me yeah. is that the pers- the the reason it didn't get ratified by all 38 states right away was because of another woman's movement. Yes, yes. Yeah. So he'll explain a little bit, and I might have to beep out some swears, but that's all right. But all that momentum came to a crushing halt, which many historians credit to just one woman, Phyllis Schlafly. Schlafly. If you've never heard of her, congratulations. But she founded a group called Stop ERA, and she was all over the media in the 70s spreading fear about the ERA. Uh, some of what she argued it would do, like uh, lead to women being included in the military draft, was absolutely possible, but a lot was bullshit, like claiming it would outlaw sex-segregated bathrooms, and then there was also this nonsense. Under our system, in case of the breakup of marriage, uh, the mother gets her children in most cases. Now, who wants to trade that in for a so-called equality, whereby each parent gets one child? Well, I don't think the Equal Rights Amendment says that. Oh, yeah. That in case of a divorce... So, Barbara Walters is interviewing her. Oh, my gosh. Divorce, each parent gets one child. It says that you've got to interpret things absolutely equally. That's right. That's right. Now, if one of the children is better than the other one, the Equal Rights Amendment says you have to cut off a little bit of the first one and give it to the second one because everything's got to be exactly equal from now on. So you've got to give your son his sister's big toe. The ERA says that. That's a fact. 
Now, now, obviously, that is not what equal rights means. It's not that everything has to end up exactly equal. It's just the law cannot disadvantage you based on gender. But that, that didn't matter to Schlafly. She was basically a pre-internet internet troll. All right, so anyways. So this is like exactly, I, I kind of feel like, I know we're not going to be talking about what well, we still are dealing with the ERA today, but it's exactly what people do when we're trying to make change for the better is people go down these crazy paths of, but then this will happen. And they forget that, and and I know some may say this hasn't, this hasn't always been the case, but they forget that we are humans with common sense. Mm -hmm. And they act as if something is, you know, instead of like, let's take some small steps towards change. It's like, let's not change anything yeah. or else we'll be cutting off people's toes. Yes. Like it's, it's, it, we're still doing this mm -hmm. with some of our politics. And what is it? It's just fear. Yeah. I mean, she just was living in fear and using fear to get people to, you know believe what she believed. Well, and it's funny. We actually, I think, did a little bit of a, uh, one of our podcasts about Brexit. Maybe it, I just listened to this on a separate podcast, but the Brexit vote and how yeah. certain oh, communities yeah. were completely benefiting from the EU. The EU. But they voted against it because of what they're reading some, on Facebook. Some misinformation. Yeah. So anyways. And, that, and that's exactly it, is we don't do enough of our own due diligence and we believe, and, and you know, we're human beings. Like if we get inundated with negative uh, information and fear, of course it's going to penetrate. not to let it impact us. So, um, so she died a few years ago, if oh, I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I'm not, you know, we can do a whole show on it, but we've chosen not to. We have some other things we want to talk about today, but the states that have yet to ratify the equal rights amendment. Ooh, tell me. Utah, Arizona, Oklahoma, Missouri, mm -hmm. Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, obviously, well, it's mostly south. south. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some west, Arizona, and stuff like that. So anyways, um, I just thought it was interesting, and I'm obviously... An advocate of equality, and our, our whole podcast is based upon equality, and I just thought that it was timely that John Oliver did this thing. So I'll include this link in the show notes. And, you know, really what it comes down to is that he actually had this clip that Todd was going to play where, you know, he talks about, like, if you are for the Equal Rights Amendment and then... Yeah, yeah, like, you know, then we were Support kind of like, it. why didn't this start in 1923, like yeah. you said the first time? And if you're against it, then, we then that's that why much. we need it. Yes. <laughs> because if you're against women having rights, then that's why we need it all the more. And he discusses all the things as far as Title IX and what's already been rolled back mm -hmm. in this administration right. that was supposed to protect women. Right. And the fact and what the ERA does is it keeps a president like the one we have now from rolling back protections of women right like right now because it's just like legislature mm -hmm. it, 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 that's not the right word what am i looking for todd right now he has the power or this administration has the power to do that yes but if, if the era is ratified by the 38 states mm -hmm. then that can't happen right so when people are like it really doesn't make that much difference we've gotten this far it really does make a difference so are there any states that are working on this right now um he kind of dives into it and he talks about specific states that are more likely than not okay. and it's pretty funny at the end because he basically talks about each state individually and you know who's, who's the best candidate here um 
I don't, I don't know. I would think of Virginia as a purple state and would be more likely than Mississippi. Yeah. Obviously. So, you know, I think we can use our common sense of who's more likely to do it. Florida is a purple state, goes back and forth between red and blue. Yeah. Um, and there's some that are not. Okay. It's it's just it's hard on the heart, you know. I mean, and and I I think this is great information, and just the fact that he's bringing it back up again, it gives it some energy, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of states did have some change, um, in their you know governance, yep. and so maybe we could just get this thing solidified. Yep. <laughs> That's just close. someday. Someday. It's just so funny how close they were. Thirty-seven out of, or I think originally it was thirty-five. So what year was that? That was the year I was trying to figure out. Nineteen seventy-eight. Oh, I it was think. seventy-eight. I said seventy-two. Yeah. Well, so seventy-two is when it started, and okay. then Congress gave them like a nine-year window to get to thirty-seven, get thirty-eight states to ratify. And then it just didn't happen. And then it just didn't happen. That is, and because of of Phyllis uh, Schlafly, among group, other people, yes. That's just unbelievable that's like the kind of history we need to like understand and this it, it is it still happens today i mean right we we want to move forward with something and if someone disagrees or they have some kind of you know fear about it mm-hmm. that starts a wave the other way mm-hmm. i mean everything has momentum well and if nothing else it teaches me how hard it is to create an amendment my gosh, you got to yeah. get 38 out of the 50 states to say, yeah, let's do this. But you know what scares me is I feel like, you know how you said there was like 83 or 84 people who voted for it? Mm-hmm. I feel like there'd be less today. And I don't know that for a fact, but I just... Well, the critics will be like, well, we don't they don't, we don't we need it because it's covered under different parts Correct. of the Correct. And that's what I mean is even if, if they're saying that, they're trying to not have it happen yeah. and justify it. Yep. Because if you really don't think it's a big deal, if you really think it's just a given, mm-hmm. then just make it a given. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Can we talk about anxiety? Right, okay. Go, go ahead, sweetie. So I wanted to share, and I'm not even done with this book, but I'm three-fourths of the way through, so I feel like I can talk about it with some uh, perspective here. So uh, I got a book that I read about in spirituality and health last month or two months ago, and I knew right away I was going to love this book just because of the article that was written about it. It's called The Wisdom of Anxiety. It's by Cheryl Paul. And um, the article in Spirituality and Health, I just agreed with everything she said. It was like an interview with her and um, just the title itself. Like, I feel like something that we've done to us as adults and what we've done to our children is we have made anxiety a problem and we have made anxiety a label and a diagnosis and we've made anxiety something that we fear. Mm. Um, And I've never felt comfortable with that. Partially part of the reason is because I know my own anxiety um, and I kind of feel like it's been really purposeful Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and not everybody has had the same kind of anxiety I have had and not everybody I think everybody experiences anxiety, which is something um, that normalizes it. Yeah. I mean, you would, you've experienced anxiety, you experience anxiety. Everybody has it in one form or another, but some, it, for some, it becomes pathologized. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, meaning that there's a reason why um, we seek help when something becomes too difficult to manage. But even when we're seeking help, I think the understanding that let's, instead of decide, this is just a problem and we're just going to deal with the symptoms. What is it coming from? And, and what, how can we look at this differently? Mm -hmm. Reframe it. 
reframe it and look at it through a lens of curiosity rather than fear, Mm. especially when it comes to our kids, because the way that we feel about anxiety is how it trickles down to our kids. Meaning if we're afraid of, if we get symptoms of anxiety and then we numb them out or we get afraid of them or we pretend we don't have them or, I mean, I'll just say it again, we numb them, right? I mean, I kind of glazed over that language, but how many ways do we numb anxiety, right? We just try and like work harder and stay up later and do more and scroll through our phone. And if we feel that way about anxiety, then whenever our children demonstrate a very normal kind of anxious behavior, which all humans do, it freaks us out to a point where we freak them out. Mm-hmm. And um, we make the problem worse. Yeah, we, we can. Make we the exacerbate it. And sometimes if we had a better understanding of what was happening, maybe it wouldn't scare us so much. And this is kind of something I've always struggled with as kind of I've, I'm you know, I'm trained as a a Western practitioner and I understand diagnoses of anxiety and I understand why it's there. And I believe in the DSM. Um, but as somebody who believes more in a, I kind of focus more on a body awareness. Um, you know, I kind of want to call it Eastern, but it's, it's kind of a, it's a bunch of different things together where it's like, well, what's it, telling you how are you dealing with it what's your history what's the transgenerational trauma what's the there's so many other reasons yeah. yes there's a genetic component you know that that is the case but even in the genetic piece do you feel anxiety say you had a parent who had anxiety do you feel anxiety because of the genetic component? Or is it or cultural? Exactly. Or, or you conditioned? Did you learn it? And this is always a debate among yep. clinicians. Sure. You know, it's like, is it nature or nurture, right? Because we'll always say, oh, it's genetic. But you can learn something in the home too, mm-hmm. you know, like, so it's like, which one comes first, right? Yeah. Chicken or the egg? And again, some people are very um, adamant about one or the other. Yeah. And I understand, you know, and I've read the research, I get it. I, it's just always from a me kind of standing back and being like thinking of all the children, teens and adults I've worked with, plus my own anxiety. There's so many more places we can go with this. And so, you know, it's kind of one of the ways that she kind of, I don't know if she uses this exact language, but like anxiety is a wound, but it's also a messenger. Mm. It's your body talking to you. Yeah. It's your, because it really is a body experience, Todd, sure. which I'm sure you can, you know. Yeah, your heart rate goes up, right. your mouth goes dry, um, you sweat, sweaty palms. Yes. And really, there are many different, I actually wanted to, um, yes, all those things that you said are true, um, but sometimes those are the only things we associate it with. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we'll be like, well, I'm not anxious because I don't have sweaty palms. Like, Anxiety also comes in the form of intrusive thoughts, you know, things like, what if I've missed my calling? What if I, what if I married the wrong person? What if I have a terminal illness? What if I hurt someone? What if someone hurts me? Like these chronic intrusive thoughts that sometimes we will not have for a while and then something will be going on in life and then it'll just, they'll get worse and worse. So I was talking about some physical way it's, uh, it, it shows itself and what you're talking, and I think what happens before the physical is your thoughts 
get to you first, right? But sometimes it doesn't manifest physically. Like you're talking about somatic. So what I want to do is instead of say this happens, then this happens, okay. I want to broaden, let's maybe, expand. Maybe you have anxious thoughts and it never shows up Correct. as physical. Okay. And we will say that's just something wrong with my mind, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't really attribute it to anxious thinking. We're yeah. just like, there's something. If we think I married the wrong person, then guess what we spend all of our time doing? Um questioning our decisions. Correct. And questioning our partner and looking at them through a lens of, you know, did I make the wrong choice? And it's really just a form of an anxiety that we're having. Now, what you were talking about were more somatic symptoms. Like you were saying like sweaty palms and, you know, like a tightness in the chest, but some other somatic uh, symptoms, excuse me, antsy feeling in the body, like where you can't sit still, Mm. insomnia, dry mouth, headaches, which Mm. is one way it shows up in me, muscle aches, a general feeling of like dis-ease, you know, um, rapid heartbeat, you already said, a pit in the stomach, digestive issues, um, lightheadedness, like these can all be like somatic symptoms of feeling overwhelmed and also behavior. Like anxiety can manifest or it can show up like as anger or irritation in the form of an addiction, a perfectionism. Mm-hmm. That's an anxiety. Sure. That's thinking I'm, I need to hide something or I need to have enough armor so people can't see me. Incessant talking. You know, people who don't stop talking. Nervous talking. Exactly. Um, compulsive rituals. You know, and obviously sometimes we'll just say, well, that's OCD. Well, not everybody's been diagnosed with OCD and we still have compulsive rituals. Like I talk to women who are like, I have to go to the gym every day. I have to. And I'll say, or else what? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and these are not women like with eating disorders or even some kind of body dysmorphia. They've just become really compulsive about if I don't do this, then they don't even know what'll happen. There's yeah, like but an they're uncertainty. Not, they're sure not going to find out. Right. Um, also online activity. Like I kind of feel like a lot of the teenagers I work with, there is a lot of fear around having to check because if I don't check online activity, if I don't check social networking, then I will either miss something, which yeah. can be the form of FOMO yeah. or a friend will post something and I won't like it soon enough and then they will not appreciate me. Sure. So we may say we may divide all those up as different things, but really they all fall under this form of anxious thinking. Okay. And so why that's important is because one of the first steps in understanding anxiety is naming it and identifying what it is. Like some you know we and again, if you're having intrusive thoughts, it's obviously saying to yourself, and there's a mindfulness practice in here, that I've been having, like, this is what I found for myself. Let me just speak personally. I recognized that throughout my life, I would have certain intrusive thoughts. And sometimes they were different. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, at some point, I'd be worried about hurting someone. And at some point, I would be worried about, um, it it would, you know, I'm trying to even think of what they are now, because this is the whole point. You forget the thought but there's a similar feeling that comes with it. Mm. I think I've described this to you before as I call it this terror that I have. And it's really not about what I'm thinking, but that thinking will drive me to that feeling of terror. Mm. And really that is a form of, it's like, it's anxiety that I really had to look into what is it, what is this common thread? And what is it that I'm really concerned about? And this is what I do with- So how often does something like, oh, I'm anxious about whatever, going to school tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that most of the time or some of the time it has nothing to do with school, it has to do with something else? Well, it always has to do with something else. I mean, we can- 
what I mean by that is that we may need to deal with some issues to get our kid in the door of school. Mm-hmm. But and maybe there was something that happened at school mm-hmm. that maybe triggered right. the anxiety. But what's the th- issue underneath, 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 underneath? Like, I don't belong. Yeah. Or I will get hurt here. Yeah. Or I don't be- um I don't have what it takes, or I will never have friends. Like, there's always a... Right. So in my school example, that really is just kind of the top level. Uh And whether we're talking about school or work or anything else, what you're saying is there's almost always a layer below. Always. I mean, there's a layer below our anger. There's a layer below. But eventually you get to the core, right? Well, and this is what, you know, in in the book, Cheryl Paul talks about this and she calls it the root. Okay. Right. And even here's the thing. This is, you know, this is important too, is the root. It doesn't mean that you're going to pull something up by the root and you will never have the experience Mm -hmm. again. It's not that simple. It's that once you understand the root then maybe when the intrusive thought comes in, you realize it's not about that higher level. It's not, the visual I get like is like, imagine water and the intrusive thought is the top of the water. So you keep trying to solve the problem of, um, you know, did I marry the right person? Yeah. And you keep trying to solve that problem at the top of the water. Right. But what's going on below, 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 below where that question is even coming up? That question may may be the only way or the your body or your mind's way of having you look deeper. That's the portal. Exactly. It's the portal. It's the that's why it's called the wisdom of anxiety. It's why it's the wound and the messenger is, you know, there's so many ways to look at this. Like we all know that when something is going on in our bodies, um, or I'm saying we all know, maybe we don't know. When something's going on with our bodies, once it manifests physically, it really is a physical issue. You have to deal with it as a physical issue. You should, if you know you're struggling with something or having pain, of course, you should see a doctor or get help or get support. But before it was a physical issue, mm-hmm. there was an emotional, spiritual issue. Yeah. And you can't just, you got to, de- again, I'm going to say this again, once it's physical, it's got to be dealt with physical. But usually there's something before it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's, there's things and it's nothing to blame ourselves about. It's not about self-blame. This is not taking us down the road if it's all my fault. It's just the way bodies and minds work. You know what I mean? Like, you know, let's just be on the very basic level of things that don't scare us so much. If you have enough stress, you will end up with a headache or a migraine or a stomach ulcer or digestive problems. And we agree with this, right? We know this. So there's an example of kind of an emotional experience then turning physical. Mm -hmm. And so if you can understand your stress and and have some coping tools and understanding and some curiosity about it, maybe it doesn't need to manifest physically. So there is... um so right now there's parents out there yes. and there's uh, and let's just forget about our own anxiety as parents uh-huh. and just let's think about our children's anxiety. Um, there's a whole spectrum. Correct. On, Huge there's, spectrum. There's not, there's barely any anxiety and then there's somebody who's paralyzed with anxiety. Correct. Very different levels. So we have to first kind of figure out where the kid is, but I think, and this is one thing that Lisa Damore said, and we shared a little bit of this on that most recent podcast. Um, she thinks that 
as a society, we tend to like demonize anxiety. Correct. This is exactly what I'm saying. And, yes. and she's like, no, anxiety is actually in many cases or most cases, I don't know what, what this author would say or what you would say or what Lisa Demore would say is anxiety is a good thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of when my kid is like, oh, I'm nervous because I have a presentation today at school. I'd be like, that's great. You're supposed to be nervous. It's your body's way of kind of being sharp. I mean, so I think that I, as a parent, I'm just trying to think like, what would I, what advice would I give to parents right now as far as if they have a child who happens to be experiencing anxiety? Um, my first thing would be like, normalize it. Say this is completely normal. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not something you have to eliminate because whenever you try to like get rid of anything, you just give it more power. And it's not a thing. This will be something that you'll deal with your whole life, not right. necessarily in the form of a disorder. And you know what, Todd, I would back up a little bit because I'm totally hearing what you're saying. That's very valuable. But I don't want to talk about how we're going to deal with our kids. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about our anxiety okay. because it's a trickle down experience. Like when it comes to our kid, that's what we always do. Mm -hmm. We'll say, I'm going to use this information. I'm going to use this on my kid. I know. It's just easier to... Um see somebody else's than it is to our own. So Very true. But our children will learn how to manage their anxiety if we've learned ours. And I think it's, and, and you, you're not contradicting me, but no. it's both ways. Like if you have a hard time dealing with your own anxiety, um, and but you think it's healthy for you to normalize the anxiety that your kid's going through, Take some of your own medicine. Correct. And and this is why, it, and this is what this show has always been about is, is, of course, it's about how to be our best as parents and how to show up in a way that mm -hmm. makes us feel like um, ourselves mm -hmm. as parents and that we're, we're making choices that are beneficial to our kids. Like all that's true. But all the beginning stage of that is us. Like mm -hmm. you, you, it's not about, I'm going to get this information and I'm going to use this on my children. Sure. It is, I need to do this within my own body. So not only do my children watch me and live in a home where anxiety is managed in a very, uh, you know, outspoken, communicative, um, healthy way. Yeah. It's not demonized. No, I would agree with you. I would say the most pure way to deal with it is to deal with it yourself so Correct. that you can teach your kid how to deal with it. That's how they know. All I'm saying is that if there's people that can't access that, sometimes you can go the other direction. You can, you're right. And to, you know, take the advice. So just a few things, and I know you want to say something about our partner, but let me uh, read a few things from this book. So as I've kind of already said this, but I'll restate it from her. She said, as I've stated, I don't see anxiety as a, and she put in quotes, disorder at all. For when we refer to anxiety as a disorder, we label ourselves with the stamp of problem mm -hmm. and fail to recognize the profound opportunity for awakening that approaching anxiety from a mindset of respect invites. Now, this is what I want to say. For those of you who experience a lot of anxiety, I, I, I can't say that I understand your specific challenge. I would never do that, but I have experienced a lot of anxiety in my life. I would probably say it is the challenge that I have been confronted with the most as far as my own mental wellness. So I am not trying to be flippant or passive. And I know that when you are in the grips of it, this kind of information can make you want to like kick someone. Yeah. I get it. When I have been in the the deep throes of of um, anxiety, which has led me into depressions, mm -hmm. um, when someone tried to give me a simple thing like "oh, this isn't a disorder," I really wanted to like yell and scream. Yeah. So I understand that. Why I'm saying this is not because I think it's easy, but because it's a new frame of reference. Instead of being afraid of ourselves, 
we can start to say, okay, my body is really smart and wise rather than my body is revolting on me. Mm -hmm. Because all of these autoimmune disorders that we're experiencing right now in our society, especially women, I know men get them too, but women, it's gone through the roof as far as autoimmune, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and MS and, you know, all sorts of different, sometimes unnameable, you know, fibromyalgia, unnameable autoimmunes, like Mm -hmm. where people like you have an autoimmune, we just don't know what it is. That is your body like fighting against itself, which just that language, understanding that we're like already having this inner battle. So just these, this belief system, this understanding that when I'm experiencing anxiety, my body is trying to give me information for me to be curious about. This is not a simple healing. I still experience anxiety, Mm -hmm. even having a better understanding of my own thoughts and being a therapist and going to therapy and having coaching. And I can't even tell you how many, you know, coping mechanisms I have learned, Mm -hmm. tools I've developed, and it still comes up. This is not about you heal it and it's gone. It's about, it no longer sends me into a, I have a problem. There's something wrong with me. This is a bad thing. Now, when it comes up, I'm like, okay, what's it? I get super curious. Yeah. Curiosity is the key. And I also start talking. I also start talking to Todd. I also say, okay, I think I'm going to, you know, if I haven't seen my therapist, I'm going to go back and talk about this because sometimes I don't know what it is and I need to have- work through it. Exactly. With somebody who is good at helping you work through it. So this isn't simple solutions. That's not what I'm offering or I'm even trying to share. What I'm offering is different perspective, expanded perspective on what your mind and body are going through and that our body naturally wants to return to healing. So sometimes the way it makes us return to healing is through feeling a wound, Mm. you know, like this hurts. So you can look at it as a gift. I'm exactly. It's the wound and the messenger. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stop there. There's so much more, but Todd's going to talk about our partner. So our kids are going to camp, sweetie, next week. And what's the first thing they do before they check in? So we stand in line and the first thing they do before they can get in and get their cabin is they get their head checked for lice. I know. And we have a partner named Wellcomb, W-E-L-C-O-M-B. Um, there is, and this will be interesting to you because we have battled some of these things and because we have three kids yes. who have been alive a lot. Yeah, I was going to say when they were little, well, they still have very so this, long hair. this goes against with what you, the way, you, so how would you treat lice? Do you remember? Oh, I did a bunch of different things. But the one you landed on was Cetaphil, right? Correct. So you'd get their hair wet, do the Cetaphil, blah, blah, blah. Right. So there is no pest, pesticide or natural solution that can harm or kill nits which are lice eggs. That means the only way to ensure that nits won't hatch and continue to spread is to physically remove them. That's why it's all about the comb, the well comb. Well, and I totally agree with that. That's a big so part of it. So why would you use Cetaphil? So, so the comb was, so the Cetaphil was, you would blow dry it on there. Mm-hmm. So it would suffocate what was there. Mm-hmm. But bef- when you had the Cetaphil in their hair, you had to go through with the comb. So it was a to vehicle to exactly. go through. It. Got yeah, it. exactly. So, um, so the, but what makes this different because we just got the comb from Walgreens This or is whatever. a much better comb. This is a different comb as far as the amount of space in between each tooth mm-hmm. of the comb, mm-hmm. teeth of the comb. It's a tooth. It's a tooth. It's a tooth. And it's even geometrically the way it's configured. So here's the deal. If you, if God forbid you guys get lice in your house, go to Welm, what what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say it's manageable. 
how do you feel when you find out the kids have lice? You know what? It, it, <laughs> it I'm not to- saying you enjoy it's totally it, manageable. but it's totally, when, when you it say God forbid, so. it How sucks. bad does it suck? Well, it does, but I People mean, are also going through real stuff. Too. Exactly. And and I'm kind of laughing at you because I managed it. Sweetie, we took care of it together. You didn't do much. So I love you dearly, but I think I my experience with it would be a little more accurate. A little hands-on, <laughs> a little more hands-on than mine. <laughs> Like, and, and I said, let me do this. Cause I had kind of a thing about, I know how I want, you know, like you had the spotlight. Yeah, I was you get so the TV. ready. Man. So on this, on the website, welcome, they actually has step-by-step tutorials. They have videos. It's actually really well done. So go uh, to welcome.com. And then you could also buy these things at dollar general and dollar generals are all over the United States. So uh, purchase your uh, lice uh, and knit removal kit, which includes the welcome. So, um, that's the deal. And you'll hear, be hearing more about the welcome and then in the months, weeks and months ahead. So that's it. So thank you very much. So going back to what I was talking about with anxiety, first, I want to remind everybody that this is a very long book. And so there, there are no simple solutions in this book. So mm-hmm. some of the language that I'm trying to get you to, you know, to listen to is just in a beginning. So, you know, if you're thinking, well, that's ridiculous, or this doesn't work, there's, there is no like, um, there's no simple solutions, but what it is, is different perspective and recognizing that insight and curiosity is the first thing, mm. because if you just think you have a problem and that this problem is like taking you over and it's going to be the rest of your life and you're never going to find your way out of it, th- that will lead you down a path, a spiral. But if it is okay, I have this insight. This isn't comfortable. Anxiety is not something anyone enjoys. I think by definition, it's uncomfortable. Exactly. But then insight first, then action. So insight plus action, that's what will equal a type of change Mm. and not a forever change. Not like now I'm never going to experience this. That's the other thing I find with my clients is they will, and I guess I could say myself is they go through an experience and then they come back and talk to me a few years later and they're like, I'm going through this again and I already did this. And I know I talk about this on the show too. And I say, well, of course, like, it's not like we deal with anxiety once and then we're never going to deal with it again. What the hope is, is that every opportunity reminds us to have a sense of curiosity, maybe to use the tools that we've used before, but also to develop new ones because not everything will be the same. Meaning like maybe like I know in the past, like journaling helped me. And then I'd be like, okay, then every time I feel anxious, I'm going to journal. And then sometimes I'd be like, okay, it's not working in this Mm -hmm. situation. I need to take a different kind of action. I need to either ask for help or I need to deepen my meditation or I need, you know, like sometimes it's not the same action that has to be taken. We need to continue to develop our skills. I have a quote for you. Let me hear it. And I just heard it on the Dan Harris podcast. And it's in, I think it was, it was in discussion about mindfulness, but I think it works well regarding anxiety. Okay. And the first thing I'll say before I say the quote is, I think what you're just trying to explain is it's not a destination no. and don't get ahead of it. Like Correct. don't like project into the future. So here's my quote. Ready? It's, I think you're going to like it. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. Yard by yard, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> totally. Right? So in terms, through the, through the lens of anxiety, 
inch by inch, life's a cinch. So just deal with it in this moment Correct. as opposed to thinking, oh my God, I am anxious and I'm going to be anxious every time I have a big thing going on at work or when my kids are in pain or whatever. Like just deal with it in this moment. This is where we have so much to learn from AA. You know, a lot of people who are in AA say everybody should be in AA, mm. even if they don't have an addiction sure. problem because we learn these things. Yeah. And what's the thing that we learn, you know, that that uh, is learned in AA? The first one is one day at a time, right? Yeah. And for many, it's one minute at a time. It's one choice at a time. It's I am going to make, I am going to only focus on what I have to do now. And then, you know, I, I don't know who made this famous, if it was Glennon or somebody else, do the next right thing. Mm. Not what am I going to do next week? Will I experience anxiety again next year? It's I'm just going to keep doing the next right thing. In my five minute journal that I have, um, and one of the things, you know, that it says in there is like, you know, what would make today great? And I always write just being now, nowness. I'll write it in some way, shape and form. What would make today great is just to be in today. Yeah. Like I don't need stuff. I don't need things. I don't need, you know, I just want to be here because this is the only thing I can do. You know what we need? We do need to take it. This is it. Did you like this show? Of course I did. What was the guy's name? Schneider. Schneider. I was going to say Schroeder. Not Schroeder. Um, this is not that good of a show, but it had a good theme song. All right. Sorry about that. It wasn't a good show. Wasn't that good? Valerie Bertinelli? She was one of my first crushes ever. Was she really? Yeah. And she married Eddie Van Halen. And you know, one day at a time is on again. I think they canceled it, but oh, they no. redid the show and it had a big fan base and they just canceled it. Really? And I, I heard that there was a lot of like anger about Bonnie that. Franklin, dead or alive. Uh, Bonnie Franklin passed away. She had Schneider, cancer. Schneider, dead or alive. Schneider. I don't remember if she died or if he, he died. died. <laughs> I don't know either. And Valerie Bertinelli alive. alive. I know she's and alive. And then the older sister is, she's uh, alive. Has a Mackenzie Phillips. Horrific story. But, a story of survival. Was she on Oprah? She was. Yeah. You want to hear a, a freaking survivor. Yeah. Listen to her. Well, you know why I loved that that she came out, uh, Mackenzie Phillips told her story. She um, she experienced incest at the hands of her father, for those who don't know that story, um, and is that she was willing to say me too about mm. something that felt... Shameful. Shameful. Uh, as a society... Uh, I, and I, you know what, Todd? She saved a lot of lives. Damn right. Because she was not the So only if she one. could do that, we can come out and talk about whatever we happen to be shameful about. My right. gosh. Well, and shame is a huge part of anxiety. Yeah. Like the, this is what's so interesting is that it's very hard to talk about anxiety without talking about shame, without talking about depression, without talking about... It's all connected. It's just, it, that's the thing is I could get so lost in, you know, the spiral of our world about mm. how there's so many pieces. But what I'm trying to hope, what, what I took from this book um, it was very, and Todd will attest to this because every time I read it, I would look at him and I go, oh my God, thank you. Because so many books that I read that are like focused on therapy are so prescriptive mm -hmm. and they're so like, they're so daunting. And it's so like, uh, like, it's not what I believe at all because of my own experience, not just my client's experience, but my own personal experience. Like, what did I say? Okay. 
what something that came up a couple weeks ago was I was talking about, or it was just last week, I was talking about the fact that really all I need someone to do for me um, is tell me you're doing great. Right. Not in a like you're doing well with your writing and your work. I don't mean that. I mean in life. Like you get up every day. You do the things. You look people in the eye. You are a good person. Even if not all your choices have been great in life. Like you are doing great. That kind of like parental um it, it doesn't have to be from a parent, but it's like a, a parental language. Well, and one of your samskaras, which is a wound, is you had that teacher that told you, you raise your hand in English class, and he or she said, no, you're wrong. And that samskara has been perpetuated again right. and again. And even if it's not being perpetuated, that's what I am perceiving. Right. What I, okay, I'll give everybody just an example. So I'm a really healthy person for 47. Do you know what I mean? Like I, my blood pressure's good and, you know, things are going well and I feel good and I have good pulse rate and all that kind of basic stuff, right? But you go to a doctor and what are you going to hear? They're trained to tell me something's wrong. Tell me something's wrong. wrong. You know, this is something you need to look at. This is something you need to consider. I get it. That's what doctors do. So my friends who are doctors who are listening to this right now, I understand. I'm not criticizing your your work, but that's, that's what they do. They're trained to do that. That's how it shows up. Like even in conversations with people, it's what's the problem versus what are we doing well? When I'm in pain, sometimes it's how can you solve that mm-hmm. versus you're going to be fine. As a therapist, my method, even without knowing what I was doing, even before I was a therapist, when people would come to me and tell me something, what I would see was, but you're doing great. Mm -hmm. And what does that do for people? It gives them a foundation from where which they can continue to grow and learn. The fear is that if we tell people they're doing well, that they will become lazy and not do anything. Right. That is, and this is what we talk about in Zen Parenting with our kids. Yep. If you tell your, your kids that they're actually great people, then they'll become full of themselves. This is not true. As long as you are telling kids they're great based on something that's real, not you're greater than other people or you're the best player on the team if you're not. You don't lie to them. But as a spirit, as a soul, you are amazing, not more amazing than other people. You're just amazing. Mm. And those are the kind of reminders that have always been super helpful to me and that I have, I feel in my own practice or as a friend offer to other people. Yeah. And that has always been very inspiring to me. And and I don't think as a society, we don't trust that. We think that, you know, that saying something good will then cause us to not do anything. Well, and that's why we both believe in positive psychology. I mean, that's basically what you're just describing. I know. And so for you, sweetie, punishment, that's what we need to do. More punishment. Yes. Let's do that. So I really liked this, um, because I consider myself a sensitive person. We're all sensitive by the way. I've just been very, as far as going into my own curiosity about me, this is something I figured out about myself. So she says in this book on one level, anxiety is sensitivity gone awry. This means Mm. that if your sensitive nature, and again, everyone is sensitive, wasn't met with gentleness and kindness, and maybe the people around you, like the teachers you were talking about, or your parents didn't know how to guide you through the big feelings of life, like sadness and anger and jealousy and disappointment, and offer rituals or practices to help you navigate with, you know, those, and, and also the awareness of death, but instead shamed you with things like get over it 
or dismissed your big feelings because they had no idea to tend to them because they didn't know how to tend to them in themselves. The sensitivity had no choice but to morph into anxiety. Mm. In this sense, anxiety is a defense mechanism to protect you from the vulnerability of experiencing the raw feelings of being human. Anxiety as a mental state causes you to travel out of your heart and into the chambers of your mind. It was once a brilliant defense mechanism that once served you, and now it doesn't. Mm. So this is like, when I read that, I was like, thank you. Mm. Like, I, I don't have the the eloquence she does in explaining that, yeah. but that was 100% my experience. Sometimes, when, when someone says, get over it, or you shouldn't be feeling it, or you're feeling it too much, or you're too dramatic, or you're too sensitive, then it becomes shame, and it becomes anxiety. And then anytime those feelings come up again, because we know we're not supposed to be feeling them, we get anxious about them. So would it be safe to say, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but people who may be predisposed to more anxiety quicker is probably more sensitive, like they're hardwired. Like I feel we are all sensitive human beings, Correct. but some people are um, more sensitive than others, right? Absolutely. So would that mean that somebody who is more sensitive is more likely to have anxiety creep in quicker than somebody who's less anxious or am I oversimplifying? No, you're, I don't think you are at all. I don't know any stats on that. Yeah. So I couldn't say yes with no for sure. But I know for myself, that's the case. As I said, like being someone who I know that I, I have a very thin veil to the world, I feel the word world really heavy physically, emotionally, even through my smell. Mm. I'm a really annoying to be person to be around because I smell everything. Yeah. It's a sensitivity thing, right? And the, many of you can relate. So I do feel feelings heavier and it does feel like anxiety if I don't want to like, you know, like it, it's, you don't, and, and, and the world does not support it. I mean, what do you say when, and again, simple, because I know you won't be offended. I don't want to watch the end of a baseball game. Sweetie, that's What do you say to me? That's stupid. You're a wimp. Yeah. You know, this is the best part. Buck up. This is the part you should like. Buck up. That's painful. When one of our daughters doesn't want to ride a roller coaster because it's difficult for her, but that's what fun is. Mm -hmm. That's what, there's a lot of like shame around, Oh yeah. you know, not doing things the way other people do them. Yeah, for sure. You know? Um... Yes, I'm with you. So we're 52 in. Right. So just a few more things. Hit a few more points. And then I will, we will finish up. So that's just one of my favorite parts that I read you because I was like, um, you know, the, the, so because I can't uh, get through this book with all of you, by the way, I'm only on page 25 with everything I've shared so far. <laughs> um, I want to at least leave you with something that in the very beginning of the book that she talks about, which is the four key elements of understanding anxiety. She says, so basically at this point in the book, she's like, you know, if you have the courage to shift your mindset and instead of resisting and resenting anxiety, you choose to approach it with curiosity, here's some other things you can do. So she says, approach it with curiosity, approach it with compassion, stillness, and gratitude. Curiosity, okay? I'm writing mm -hmm. this down, mm -hmm. compassion, mm -hmm. stillness, gratitude. Exactly. That's good stuff. So a lot of those words, people be like, yeah, yeah. Cause we talk about them all the time on the show, but that's why all this stuff is like threaded together, mm -hmm. right? It's all overlapping because curiosity is the first thing where when you feel anxious, rather than going into a spiral of, oh my God, I'm feeling anxious again, is to really take a deep breath and be like, okay, what is this about? And you may not get an answer right away, but at least the curiosity shifts it from, I have a problem to what's, what, 
what's going on? Right. Like, what's my body? Again, remember the wound and the messenger. Mm. What is this wound? What's, what is the message that's trying to be sent, you know, through this? And even without having the answer, the next thing is compassion. Like, you know, love for yourself. Like I would say in the last like couple months, and I think what I'll continue on focusing on in 2019 for me, is just self-trust. Like it's something that as far as my anxiety, my samskaras is always about thinking that somebody else has the answer. And that shows, and that, and that may be surprising to many of you who listen to this, because I'm constantly talking and sharing all these things. But the deep underlying thing that I've learned about myself is that I oftentimes have these really great revelations that come through my body and spirit. And then I'll be like, right? Mm. You know, like I still am waiting for someone to like, and that's old. Like that is, like you said, it's, we'll just use the teacher one. Mm. Here's the way I experience this, right? And if someone says no, and what I've had to learn and what I'm still learning, I'll be, we'll be talking about this at 60, is because you feel it, it makes it okay rather than you need everybody to believe the same thing you do. So compassion is like self-trust and and respect for yourself. And um, it doesn't mean you have all the answers either. It doesn't mean you overpower everybody else and say, do it my way. Again, there's a balance in sure. there. But compassion, we all know what compassion is. Yeah. And then stillness, you have to get quiet. Like I would say, Todd, I don't know with your clients what you, you do, but with all my clients I see... I'm like, before you move forward, you've got to have some quiet because mm. we can't have these discussions unless you get quiet with yourself and figure out what we're doing here because yeah. I can't tell you what we're doing here. Right. Yeah, I do a centering exercise just because most of the guys that I coach are, you know, they're on their phone two seconds before they walk into the house. Exactly. So not only centering, centering in your office, mm-hmm. but on their own time. Mm. Got it. Like my students, in even my college students, like part of the semester is you have to have a meditation practice of some kind. Now, what does that mean? Two minutes a day? Mm-hmm. You know, we do it in class, journal writing? Well, you just, you start with whatever you can do. And some for some people, it's one conscious breath every day. And I can raise my hand when I'll be like, there's been weeks or I haven't taken a conscious breath. Absolutely. So, cause you're like, oh, that's easy. Everybody could do that. No, it's not easy to remember to take a conscious breath every day. And your ego will fight you on it. A mm-hmm. big piece of this book, The Wisdom of Anxiety by Cheryl Paul, she talks about the ego. The ego doesn't want you to do any of this stuff. The ego loves a fight. The ego wants to fight anxiety. Oh, the more e- turmoil, the better. Exactly. They love, it loves the drama. So the ego is not, that can't be, you know, Liz Gilbert's been on a lot of podcasts lately and she's been talking about fear and how that's connected, you know, to the amygdala. And that's where we always end up going as far as like, we think we're going to die. I relate that completely to it's, even though, again, I know they're different in how we describe them, but that's the ego, you know, like where it's like, this is going to be a problem yeah, and that's not going to solve it. Oh, sitting for three minutes isn't going to do anything. What a waste of time. That is your ego. It does not want you to do it. No. And, but the truth is you don't have to be mad at your ego. Say ego. I, I hear you. Hmm. I know you don't want me to sit last week. I, I said this on the show last week that uh, because it was so crazy, you know, my girls were graduating from their schools and we had plays and performances. You guys know you're going through end of year stuff if you're not done already. And I finally sat after five days of not sitting for meditation and I could feel my body vibrating. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is the state I've been in. So yeah, you didn't even know it until you sat. Didn't still. even know it. 
And then the last one, which we talk about all the time on this show, is gratitude. There has to be a witnessing of what's working, which we've already, you know, kind of discussed in terms of your curiosity too, is like, you know, this doesn't have to be a long-term problem. This is a, I am feeling this way. I feel this anxiety. I am struggling with this at the same time. I feel supported or I've got some tools or the sun is out. Like there has to be a willingness to recognize what's working at the same time. Um, so again, this, I'm, like I said, I'm on page 27 sharing with all of you. There's so much in this book, but I find it to be right up my alley as far as, I don't even know if I need to put it under positive psych or if I just put it under something that resonates with Kathy. Um, but it makes more sense to me. It's less scary. It makes me feel like this is something that is normalized. Well, it just decreases the air out of the balloon. It does. There's so much intensity around anxiety. There's so much, you know, 260 million people were diagnosed with anxiety this year. And I want to be like, um, we all have anxiety, but it's how we, like we all experience it. And I know some will say, well, but I have a disorder. I understand. Sometimes something gets too far mm -hmm. where you're like, I really need help in a way that's different than the person sitting next to me. Yeah. 100% agree. Always ask for help if you need it. But then even from that stage, can we say... I want to look at this through a different lens yeah. and see um, if I can have more compassion for myself in the process, regardless of my diagnosis. Yeah. Like how does, you know, gratitude and compassion and um, curiosity and stillness can do nothing but benefit. It's a good recipe for life, sweetie. Exactly. Thank you. Um, have an attitude of gratitude, sweetie. Mm -hmm. I'm a poet. I don't even know it. Your feet um, show A it. few iTunes reviews... Uh, Jillian says, where have Todd and Kathy been all my life? We've been here. Elmhurst. Elmhurst. Um, Holly from Arizona. <laughs> this is a funny one. Okay. Almost as helpful as breathing. <laughs> yikes. Good. Well, not yikes. That's nice. Well, I would say oxygen is probably a little bit more important than hearing you and I jabber every week. Well... She's just saying that she's trying to give us a really nice compliment. I know. Wonderful. Thank you, Holly. And uh -huh. she did that back in March. It's been That's how long this has been since I read some reviews. And then the last one is from April. Um, I don't know who it's from, but she says, love these two. Thank so she you. loves us. So we're feeling the love. So love you guys back. Um, give us a review. Um, and then I want to talk about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He's our uh, partner, painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Uh, check out my Coaching for Guys website, toddadamscoaching.com. We have a screening coming up in July called The Bystander Moment, and I encourage all men in the Chicagoland area, it's for women too, but mostly I want to see the guys there, um, and it just talks about the society we live in and how we can stand up and um, for what we believe in, my mm -hmm. goodness sakes. And live what you believe instead of just speaking what you believe. That's right. Live it. Um, Team Zen. Team Zen. We have a uh, Zen talk this Thursday. We had Gemma Hartley last week. Mm -hmm. We've done 58 of these podcasts. Yeah. So we're going to have more authors on. We have more micro communities, which means like within Team Zen, there's groups that are getting together to talk about challenges that they're facing. So they have their own, uh, you know, their own little community within our community. I got, I got on one today. It was How the was it? teens and tweens. It you was have, wonderful. You have teens and tweens. I have teens and tweens. So I got on. I was a little late, but they accepted me anyways. Good. 
and we had a wonderful discussion about, you know, specific things that are going on in our lives regarding parenting teens and tweens. Well, it's kind of cool because some of the people who want to be on our show, on our Zen Parenting Show, as you guys know, we don't really do a lot of interviews. And so we're like, hey, come on our Team Zen mm-hmm. show. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's, well, it is kind of a podcast, but it's live and they're doing that. Yes. So we're also getting experts who want to come on and talk. So, um, so that's big. And Todd didn't bring this up. But on our 500th episode, besides having our kids on, we have a big announcement. Big announcement. And it's not the conference. That'll come in August, Mm -hmm. the conference announcement. Yes. Which is big also. A lot of big announcements. Just B-I-G. B-I-G. And then uh, the Virtual Tribe Men's Group. We have a virt- our first virtual meeting tomorrow night, Wednesday, and we're going to talk about um, biological masculinity versus traditional masculinity versus toxic masculinity. So if you're interested, go to tribemensgroup.org and become a virtual member. So virtual member means you can live anywhere and you don't have to talk on these calls. Todd thinks that everybody needs to talk, but I got your back that if you just want to be a voyeur and listen, you're not going to be on the call. I'm not in the tribe. I know I'm jumping the gun here, but we do have these conversations a lot. I have guys that have gone to our in-person meetings and aside from them saying their name and all that, they just listen. And that's totally acceptable. So we don't push it, but most guys want to talk. But if if you're one of those guys that just want to listen in, that's cool too. Especially the first time on a virtual call, just to kind of see what it's about. Yes. Um, and there's two other tidbits that I didn't get a chance to, so I'll talk about them next week. So anything else, sweetie? Nope. I... All right. I'm going to play our music. How about that one day at a time music? Yeah. That was good. Schneider. Um, keep trucking. Lots of big stuff happening. Go to our website, zparentingradio.com. See you guys next Tuesday. Have a good week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. What about my book, sweetie? Just my books. I want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, And guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. Uh, So we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. 
He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at abbotco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough, and uh, keep trucking. Adios.